0: speech language pathologist and welcome to teach me to talk the podcast today we're continuing a three-part series about using books with toddlers with language delays now when a kid likes books it's not hard for parents to figure out how to use that book to teach language but when there are issues that can come up like we see often with our little friends with developmental delays, or even those who are just like talkers, parents sometimes need more specific tips and strategies to make teaching language more effective when they're using books. Now we as therapists can also combine these goals with our early literacy goals, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this three-part series. Now the first part of the series we've already done, it was show number 415, and we talked about strategies to use for babies and toddlers in that 6 to 18-month developmental range. Now, for those of you who are parents, let's talk about the difference between developmental and chronological. And we did this in the last show. And not to be too repetitive, but it's a really, really important point. When you have a kid who's not talking yet, even if he's three, expressively, he's still down there in that 12 months, sometimes even a little bit Lower than that in that 12 month developmental range, expressively, because he's not yet imitating or using a few single words. So, when we think about kids and we think about pairing our strategies with where they are, it always helps to think about the developmental strategies or the strategies pairing with the developmental age rather than the chronological age and that's why sometimes with parents they'll read tips from blogs on the internet or just from maybe a magazine or just an app and then it doesn't work for their kids and they always try to kind of think about well that's just an individualistic difference and sometimes it is but sometimes it's because they're not meeting the child where they are in the correct developmental stage and so we as professionals have to really over explain that sometimes to parents before they really get it they understand that their child is delayed or that there's something more serious like a disorder, but they really don't understand that we have to adjust the things that we do so that we can make language learning the most effective uh, and use the strategies and tips and tricks uh, to be the most effective that we can be. All right, so last show we talked about kids in that 6 to 12 month and 12 to 18 month developmental range, and today we're going to pick back up with that with 18 months to 36 months. But before we get to that, let's review the four goals that we talked about last time. Because all of these things are sequential, like all other developmental milestones. If you don't get what comes first, you're very likely, unlikely (laughs) to get what comes next. So the strategies that we're going to talk about today in today's course are effective for kids who can already show awareness of books or enjoy books. So if you see a kid who just altogether rejects books some of the things that we're talking about today may not be where you need to begin go back and listen to show 415 for those tips that will make that more effective for you the second thing that they need to already be doing is pointing for awareness so meaning that they're just looking at the book with you and just pointing at the pictures as if to direct your attention to that or to say look not necessarily on request, like we're going to talk about in a goal coming up, but just that they're starting to point. The next goal is that they're copying actions. And why is this important? It means that they can imitate. No child is ever going to learn how to talk until he can imitate. And he can't imitate sounds and words until he imitates out here first with nonverbal actions. So we talked about in the last show, getting a child to imitate things like, here's a picture of a teddy bear, imitating things like patting the bear or kissing the bear or hugging the bear or tickling the bear, any little action that a child might find fun enough and motivating enough but be easy enough to try to do. So that's the third goal that we talked about in uh, last time's show. And then the fourth goal, we started talking about pointing to pictures uh, on request, meaning that you say, when you're showing a child a book like this, where's the bear? And he can accurately identify the bear. So we started talking about last week, the strategies that make that most effective. And so we're going to pick back up here with that today. And another reason we're picking up with that is because there's so much variability on our standardized assessments with where, when children should be completing that skill. Sometimes some assessments have that as early as 12 to 15 months, and some assessments don't have it until closer to 24 months. But regardless, somewhere between that first and second, at birthday is when children should start pointing to familiar objects on request and it's a really really important goal it's how we assess nearly everything with children from cognition to receptive language and so we want to be sure that children are able to do that and we know that our little friends with language delays and disorders really struggle when it comes to learning to do something like that not only because of the receptive the obvious things the receptive language ability but also because of things like attention and things uh, again like we talked about the pointing for children who have motor differences as well so I'm going to share with you the strategies that I've learned that have been most effective for me in my career as a speech language pathologist but more importantly than that the things that I've taught parents and other therapists to do and if you are a professional a speech language pathologist like me or a teacher or a parent you can certainly glean from these strategies and then be able to teach them to other people now as a parent you might be thinking i'm not ever going to teach my therapist anything she doesn't already know you couldn't be further from the truth with that because so many things that i've learned during my career i've actually learned from parents and then lo and behold you go back and you remember that you were supposed to already know that or you read a piece of research or consume an article or somehow remind yourself of the theory that supports why that strategy worked and so certainly even as a parent you can use these and teach other professionals that you encounter who work with you and your child uh, these strategies as well, as well. All right, so one other thing that we want to talk about uh, for the strategies in this show we're looking at kids in that 18 month to 36 month developmental range. And we talked about this before. That's where our brand new talkers are. And this also is so applicable to children, again, who are three or four, maybe even five, who also have receptive language delays. In addition, to delays in how they talk or how they express themselves. So these strategies are going to be super effective for a wide variety of children. However, we're going to really be concentrating on the first part of this developmental phase. Now, next show, to finish up this little three-part series, we'll talk about some really fun ideas for the last part of this phase. But today, we're really going to be focusing on that, say, 18-month to about 24, 27, 30-month range. Okay, so let's begin with a review of the literacy milestones that accompany this developmental phase. And remember, like we talked about last time, our literacy milestones are so dependent on our language milestones. So that's why so many of our little guys with language delays and disorders will really also struggle with literacy because literacy is language-based just in its written form. And so that's why it's so important to really think about this and how we can build these literacy skills in particularly well we can do it two ways we can make sure that we're doing it with children who love books but who are struggling with their language skills and the books kind of give us that way in which we're going to talk about a lot in next course in uh, number 417 but in this show we're talking a lot about like we did last show a lot about kids who really don't like books and for whom uh when they look at books now it's mainly just a visual uh experience for them. They may self-stem a little bit, which is one of the common problems that we talked about in last show. And if you're working with a child that you're having difficulty with that or you just want some more information about that, go back and listen to the last show. So again, this This show is important because we're pairing uh, the literacy milestones with the language milestones. So let's just go ahead and take a look at what these literacy milestones are. Now, if you are a therapist, I strongly encourage you to purchase the CE credit uh, for this course. If you are listening via your podcast app, go back and get credit for this course so that you can get the great handout that accompanies this. And so your literacy milestones are going to be right there for you. And you can talk about this. Uh, with with parents and with other professionals as you're sharing this information and can share the handout with them. And let me just say a plug for this. If you're working in an early intervention program and you've been doing teletherapy for a year and a half and you may need some new resources, so this may be something to kind of jumpstart your therapy for uh, this upcoming school year. Even if you're working in a year-round schedule, you know, you may be thinking, oh, I just need some new things to do and new things to focus on and new things to give my returning parents. We've already done all the things that <laughs> that maybe uh, I do as kind of part of my standard practice, so this may be something that can really uh, give you a bump and give you something else to look at in a new direction for the next uh, couple of weeks or months. All right, so what are the milestones? for early literacy skills first of all is that children name familiar pictures so by the time children are eighteen months when we look at a typically developing toddler, his vocabulary usually is right around that fifty word mark and remember we 're saying typically developing and if you 're a parent of an eight, uh, a parent of a child with a language delay who 's older than eighteen months that may really give you a punch in the gut when you start to hear those kinds of milestones because you already know that your child is behind and again we're not talking about this to uh, really kind of emphasize that any more than it has to be other than just to know kind of what children are doing typically and for therapists we often lose touch of where typically developing children are performing and what they're learning to do and this this period of development 18 to 36 months it's where children usually experience their language explosion and so they may have 50 words at the beginning of this and then by the time a a typically developing child is 24 months, he has 200 to 300 words in his expressive vocabulary. So that's quite a growth spurt there in that six months. And then language learning continues at an even more rapid pace between 24 months and 36 months because then children who are typically developing have about a thousand word vocabulary by the time they turn three. So it's just a, a huge important part of a child's development here at this phase and again when a, a child has a language delay it puts them at a real disadvantage and not only again as we talked about for uh, his language learning skills and in that language domain but we've already talked about how it certainly impacts uh, cognitive skills when we start looking at this uh, literacy stuff and actually the cognitive skills are what? create the language delay in the first place. And so, again, they're so interrelated. So that's why we want to talk about these. The second big milestone here is point to identify named objects. And as SLPs, we probably would have put that indicator first, right? Because we know that children have to understand words before they use words expressively. And so there's the big receptive language indicator. And again, for a lot of parents, this is where Uh, they they don't really understand this piece and they don't really when when they start with books with using books with their child they're going to naturally say things like what's this? what's that? (laughs) tell me this and they're, they don't really know that we should start with receptively, you know, with asking things like, where are the shoes? Show me the shoes. And again, that's the kind of thing that we're going to talk about as we move through the strategies in this show. The next literacy milestone is use pointing to a dentist. Oh, we already did that one. The third one is matching objects to pictures that we're going to talk about a lot. And this is a very, very important cognitive skill because children begin to match visual information. And why is that important? Because we want them to read and right. And so when we have kids that can't do these first little wrongs in that kind of skill set development, we know that they're going to be at a disadvantage. And so again, that's why all of these skills really layer upon each other. And that's, that's how we need to make Uh, parents aware of this and what you know why it's important that we would work on these kinds of things the next milestone is finds parts of an object in a picture and certainly more of our little friends uh, on the autism spectrum love this goal and we'll talk about this next week too is that sometimes we can use the child's strengths to really hook him into our activity and really make him a lot more interested than he would typically be when we really uh, tweak what we offer as with the materials that we use and the activity choices that we provide based on a child's own individual preferences. But this is one that really, really uh, finding parts of an object, it's certainly something that we can work on in this period as well. And it helps direct attention. Uh, to our activity or our book that we're working on. The next one is that a child pretends to read books and what's he doing there? He's really imitating behavior of adults that he's uh, interacted with so if his mom reads to him every night it's just really natural that he's going to start to want to uh, pretend like he's reading too and he may not get the words he may not get any of the words but you can see even if he's doing it completely non-verbally with no sounds at all he's sitting down and you see him kind of looking at where the words are and then he leans back a little the page and then he tries to do it all again and you can tell even without vocalizations that he's pretending to read there so that's a marker. Uh, Certainly kids here will also begin to finish sentences in books that they know well and we as pediatric SLPs refer to this as verbal routines and it is a wonderful language learning strategy that we're going to talk a lot about uh, in this show. Kids uh, also begin to have a favorite book and request for it to be read often which sometimes drives parents batty, but the good news is parents learn it, <laughs> and when you learn it and you've done it long enough for uh, you to learn it, chances are your child is learning it too, so that's a wonderful strategy as well. They also begin to scribble on paper, and this prepares them for pre-writing, and certainly, uh, like we talked about with their favorite books, kids begin to identify books by name, so you can say to a child something like, go get Goodnight Moon, or go get Little Blue Truck, and they know exactly what you're talking about, and go, get the correct book and they can identify the book by the picture on the cover so a big jump in visual recognition there and in their cognitive skills as well now we've already talked about what language milestones occur in this period and the first two literacy milestones are huge language indicators that we're going to spend some time talking about today Uh, first pointing to identify named objects or that big receptive language goal piece and then secondly naming familiar objects And so let's talk a little bit about why it's important that we look at the milestones and and how do we use this. It's because we know where we're going. We know what our ultimate goal is and we know what should drive our activities with kids or what we actually do with kids. We want to look at what other typically developing kids are doing or what we would have expected a child to have acquired by the time he's this age. And remember, we can't always start with what that big goal is. I mean, certainly milestones drive us there, but we also have to meet a child where he is in the current developmental period. So again, that's why I talked about even though a kid is chronologically in this 18-month to 36-month range, but sometimes we have to really back it up with our or all the time. <laughs> we have to back it up Uh, with our strategies to where he is developmentally and I think it's uh, important that I keep banging that in your heads as we proceed through these courses and uh, for SLPs if you watch my work often or listen to my courses often because this is how repetitive we need to be with parents too so that they really really understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and how all of these skills really build on each other and you can't necessarily with a child in speech therapy start with talking. (laughs) There are many, many other skills that have to come first. And if you're not having those conversations with parents routinely, I just really encourage you to do that. And if you're a parent watching these shows to get your own information, that's certainly something that I want you to hold first and foremost in your minds all the time. I have to teach my child to understand these words before he's ever going to say these words. So let's start with this first big receptive language goal. And we're on the second page of our handout now. And we're going to look at What we can do to help children learn to identify familiar pictures on request. So we talked about this in last show. And we're just going to talk about it briefly here. What we want to do is be sure that we are using books with realistic photographs. Now, that doesn't mean that we discount all of the wonderful children's literature where there are illustrations because I love these kinds of books as well. And we're going to talk about these today. But when kids are really, really struggling with receptive language, you may want to think about making it as concrete as possible. Now, we know that children, that, well, we know that pointing to pictures really is symbolic. It means that children have assigned meaning to words and they know that the car the car out in the driveway is represented by the picture here in this book and that's what becoming symbolic means but to help a child get there particularly when we know that there are cognitive delays maybe there's a diagnosis that supports that uh, there's uh, down syndrome cerebral palsy you know may or may not have children may or may not have a cognitive issue when they have CP uh, but certainly autism a third of children with autism will also struggle with their cognitive cognitive development and and certainly there's just a whole host of other things other kinds of diagnoses or even just developmental lags where kids aren't understanding language as well as they should or as well as uh, would be expected for their ages so we have to teach them that and we can certainly use books to do that however they have to have the real life experiences to layer this I mean they have to become symbolic after they've become concrete and literal and so kids you you can't only use books but again it certainly is a good tool for that and we talked about in last week's show how we want to just do a lot of labeling and a lot of teaching and so we do that just by saying the name of the picture over and over and by giving just a brief related comment now sometimes when we say things as therapists like we tell parents just describe the object well then what do they do they start just using colors for everything so with a book like this they'll say yellow boat red car red plane pink bear that doesn't give a kid a lot of information when he's really struggling with receptive language. And so what we want parents to do is give an explanation maybe of the function or of something that would be relative in a child's real world or of something that will really hook a child's attention. So something like, look, boat, see, boat, boat goes in the water, ooh so you can make a sound like that certainly something like car oh we go bye-bye in the car oh let's wave bye-bye bye-bye car or something like car car beep beep that car says beep beep That kind of thing. Those kinds of simple, where you are labeling what the picture is, but you're certainly providing a little bit more information. Because remember, we're laying the groundwork for receptive language. We don't just want a kid to say car or boat, although... (laughs) as SOPs. And parents with a kid who can't talk, that's what we're waiting on. But we're building that receptive language as well. And so you want to give that additional information too. And so here's where I start a lot with books and therapy with kids. It's really just doing this receptive language groundwork. And that's certainly something that we can turn over to parents. And I I don't mean turn over to parents. I, I I don't like really that expression. I hate that I just said that. But it's certainly something we can recommend to parents. We can model it for them, we can demonstrate it and show them how to do it, and then we can highly encourage them as their number one primary strategy every day and help them figure out where that works best for them. It might be at nap time, it might be at bedtime, it might be while they're sitting and waiting in the carpool line for the older child. Anytime that a parent has five or ten minutes, they can squeeze in language learning with the book. And so certainly that's something uh, that we should be talking about when, when parents can do this kind of practice. And remember, too, that repetition is so important. So you want to tell parents, you can't just do this one or two times with a kid and then think that he's ready for you to start saying, where's the baby? Show me the car. Find the shoe. What? Uh, Where's the train? They're not ready until they've really, really learned what those words mean. And for kids who are struggling with cognitive development, they always struggle with language development and the receptive language piece. They're not always linking what they hear or the word with what they're seeing. And so repetition is what helps the child and, and focus in, in, in intentional reading and labeling with the child. That's what helps a, a kid with language delays or disorders really, really own that information and so talk with parents and model how to do that over and over and over and then after you've read the book for a while or when you know gosh I know my kid understands shoes because I can say to him go get your shoes and he does that's when you can really start offering these kinds of choices and again it's easier when they're just two choices in a book something like oh these go on your feet look let's find the shoes find the shoes and so he finds the shoes and then you say now show me the socks and you can see certainly tie this in as well with the child's real life with asking him, where are your shoes? You know, show me your socks. And you can even do, Oh, let's find my socks. And again, you've really extended that information and you've helped him relate uh, this, symbolism here to what's really going on in his uh, real life and what else can we do here with kids with who who can't sit for this you may be saying Laura that's great but I'm seeing this kid who just is not into books he's just all over the room the whole time what am I going to do about that so what am I going to do about that well for those kids you have to move first and so if you've listened to me talk about this before you'll know that I call this my move sit move sit treatment philosophy and I think it's so important for kids uh, who are younger than three or maybe five, but certainly for kids who are sensory seekers and who typically are busy anyway. And some of those kids you, you think, I'm just going to tie him down. I'm going to put him in the high chair and we're going to use this book. That's not really the most effective thing to do. You want to help him meet his sensory needs so that he's regulated and he's ready and in that just right, ready place to learn. And so for those kids, you do movement activity first and then you come back to this kind of acti- uh, that kind of activity where you're identifying. Another troubleshooting tip here, is to do just the one more, one more rule. Meaning that if you have a kid that can only do a couple of pictures with you in a book, next time you just wanna try to get one more. So if he did two pages today, next time you wanna get three pages. And then if he did three pages that time, next time you wanna try to get four. And so don't look at getting progress as he's gotta read this whole book for me, or this is a complete failure. Absolutely not. You just want to get at that progress one little uh, step at a time with that. So that's certainly you can uh, something you can do. Another thing here that we've already talked about, but that I want to make sure that you really, really understand how important it is, is as an adult, you can really create excitement and interest for a toddler with using books just by using your own voice and just by using your own facial expressions. And so you can't really foam this in when you're reading. To a child, especially when you don't really have a story to read. And so you're going to have to be animated and, as I said before, read with heightened affect. So this would be something like pointing to the flower and going, Mmm, mmm, let's smell this flower. This smells so good. Mmm, mmm, mmm. And can you see how that would hook a child's attention rather than just reading flower? Look, pink flower. See? that's a flower. (laughs) Can you see how that's not going to be as exciting and won't hold a child's attention like it would be if you were really, really into it. So those are some strategies uh, for you to use too. Another strategy here that's going to be important that we'll talk about really with the next goal is using props. So using objects along with your books. And again, we're going to talk about that in the next goal and in next week's show. So if you have a guy who's really, really like I said before, busy, or who always has to be doing something with his hands using a prop that's related to the book can certainly increase a child's attention with that. All right, so let me show you some examples for goal number one that we've talked about with identifying familiar pictures in books. And we want to talk about, too, how we can increase this complexity. It's much easier, you know, just to well, a 50% chance of a child getting uh, the, the answer right when he's using this kind of book at the beginning. But we want to be sure that we're bumping him up and making sure that his uh, skills increase as he learns more. And so we start out with the really simple books. I love Roger Pretty books. I talk about them all the time because they're just simple photographs. Sometimes the vocabularies in the books isn't exactly... Uh, you know it doesn't make like a familiar uh, word list like the word coin for a baby and so if I were reading this I would say money or something that I think might be more relative but you'll just have to use your own judgment with that and and again sometimes you may not even want to emphasize what the word is you know bread I would just be doing something like you know or something you know oh we like bread mm something that makes it excuse me, more enticing for that child. So that's the first kind of book, those really simple photograph books then we want to bump it up and make it a little bit harder. So you might still have a photograph book, but you're going to have more options on a page so that you're asking a child, you know, after you've read through the book a few times, and actually for this kind of book with the child, I would use this when I was pretty certain that a child knew uh, to, uh, and was already identifying other kinds of familiar pictures in simpler books. So for this kind of book, we're going to bump it up a little bit and say, oh, where's the cat? Find that kitty cat where's that kitty cat and have a child really pick this out now if you can't do it from here with a choice of six you know that you can always cover The other options however you're going to do it when you're reading with the child I probably wouldn't use paper because then I think the kid might be more interested in the paper than the book (laughs) but here you want to do anything that you can again to make it simpler if a child is really struggling because your set size is too large so um, you can certainly uh, use books like this as well then you may want to do something where you are really asking not necessarily what the object is, but you bump it up in complexity to uh, use maybe the function of the object or we talked about before kind of what your explanation is. So it might be something like uh, looking at this little first words uh, Sophie book, something like what's in Sophie's toy box. And then the kid is flips the flap, or you do, and then you, you might ask him, you know, you're going to label these things and, you know, Here's the train, here's the ball, oh look duck, and then you'll ask a question like, which one says whoop whoop, or uh, who, who says quack quack, or that kind of thing, or what do you like to play with mommy, which one do you play, or which one do you bounce, or kick, or whatever, and so come up with a question that's related to the function. Now, you probably saw my sticky note here, So I could remind myself of what to say. And that's what we need to do with parents too. For parents for whom these strategies don't come very easily or for parents who are who were more kind of uh, student-minded like I would be and certainly like I was when I had uh, issues with my own children you know when I was at the pediatrician and the doctor was telling me things to do or maybe a meeting at school talking with my uh, children's teachers I was the note taker and writing down exactly what they wanted me to do and sometimes parents may not feel comfortable to do that or they may not even realize that they need that level of (laughs) cueing to be able to use the strategy effectively outside of your session with them and so just leaving little sticky notes like that if that's something that a parent is comfortable with I've done that for a long time and as you can see it's something that I use so I think it's a great strategy so that that's something that might be good too all right next you want to bump a kid up receptively with even more choices so I love these Uh, This is another bright baby book, which is also a Roger Pretty book, and it's got realistic photographs, but look at all the choices. And so when I get a kid here, and I'm saying find an apple, and he can look at all these pictures and point right to the apple, you know, that's when I know, oh, we're getting somewhere with receptive language. And so many parents, when you'll do this with a kid during a session, and they will just beam with pride and really really start to realize how far their child has come and that's when i think oh you know i've got them now because the parent is prioritizing receptive language like they should be and they're getting excited about what their child understands not just what their child says and so it's certainly something that uh, is worth celebrating with a parent and so i've had a lot of luck with kids like that or with uh, success like that with using books where we have lots of choices. But again, use your strategies. Cover up the options that aren't relative. Make sure you're teaching all the vocabulary in real life first so that a child understands that. And don't use those harder books when you when a child doesn't have very much experience with pointing to pictures or when his attention is all over the place. You know, you're gonna really really select your books and your materials based on meeting a child where he currently is all right when children can do that kind of thing and maybe even before then another goal that you want to do is have them point to pictures that are related to the kind of story that you're reading so i love goodnight moon it's one of the books that i read to my own children who are now Uh, You know, our oldest is in his 30s, but certainly uh, we can have children as we're reading, you know, in the great green room, there was a telephone and they're going to find the telephone uh, and a red balloon and a picture of... we flip the page, the cow jumping over the moon. And so be sure that you're talking to parents about pointing and using their little cues and and doing the teaching as they're reading too, in addition to uh, the assessment part where they're asking their child find the or where's the. So, So that's great too. I wanted to show you one more little book here in the receptive language section. And this is I don't I don't usually like sound books because I think kids can hyper focus on that and go into their little self-stems and it's then it's sometimes too hard to bring their attention back to me. But I like this sound book and I'll have all the books that I'm using as demo here uh, posted in a link below so just look there for I think it says something like list of the books that I used in the course or the books that I used for demo and you can get the specific links and their Amazon links there as well just for your convenience but this book is actually evidence-based practice because the words in this book were chosen from the monumental 2012 study at Bryn Mawr that listed the 25 words that all two-year-olds should no. and so I like that book because of this and that's certainly something that after I use this kind of book with parents we sit and sort of talk about the vocabulary and if their child knows that word or doesn't know that word and how, what we can do to help them learn that word and that becomes uh, one of our short-term goals and so certainly with a sound book you can use it to bring a child's attention to the book if if he's uh, not wanted to do books this is certainly a hook that you can use and I like this one too because it's uh there's some directions for parents here with something, uh, something to direct what they could say. So a little bit of scripting there as well. And so it's a great book uh, for using like that. Don't forget that you can cover up your options and the other strategies that we talked about. All right. So those were our uh, books that we recommended for our first goal. So let's move on to goal number two for receptive language. And this one is so fun. And if you've seen uh, my course, I think it's, I think it's steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers, but it might be early speech-language development that that I use this uh, same book and these same toys, and that's what's so effective about this as an SLP. You can make these little kits for yourself, and they will last for years and years and years, and so if you are looking at this, and you're a new therapist, and you're saying, oh... I don't know if I can pull together these toys or as a parent, you're thinking, I don't know if I want to dig through the toy box to get all this pulled together. It will be worth it for you because you can use this little kit over and over and over. So for this goal, what are we doing? We're helping children become more symbolic. So we are matching pictures to objects. So what I've done for this kind of goal is just get a pretty simple... Book, and you don't have to use a picture book. You could use another kind of book that you liked, or another kind of book that you could find some matching objects. But here, I haven't matched every toy uh, because that's a little obsessive, even for me. But you can match, <clears throat> say, one or two pages per book. And then, as you're reading, this is this is the best way that I've found to do this. You're going to read with the child. You've got the book, and set out. Three or four little objects. I don't know if you can see this low in the shot, but I'm going to be putting the objects, you know, really right on top of my paper here. But do whatever uh, the first three or four little pages are, whatever your prompts are. And I probably don't have the right things, but you're just going to ask, set out three or four things. And as you're reading and labeling, you, you know, you're going to say, Oh, there's baby. See that baby? And look, shoes oh tomato we eat tomatoes there's oh look raspberries Mm-mm-mm. and wow there's a fire truck see that fire truck oh look where's the fire truck you find it you find the truck where's that fire truck and so hopefully by then the child has realized what you're doing he's reaching down he's matching the fire truck and you can talk about the word match and introduce that you know and say things like oh truck Truck, look, it's a match. And then to make this more structured and help children who may have those issues that we talked about with the tension, they're either wanting to get up and run around, or a kid who then hyperfixates on the object and you think, well, I don't want to do that because then he's focused on the toy. Use something like a container, like we've talked about in show 414 with structured teaching, so that it makes this uh, you give it an end to what you want him to do. So he selected the truck and then you want him putting it in his in the container, and then you just move on to the next page and And as uh, the parent or the adult, the therapist, keep replacing so that you always have the next uh, a, a new little set so when you flip to your next page and again this is so important because it really not only improves receptive language but it helps children become symbolic and for kids with who struggle with attention who don't really like books this has just been an activity winner for me for years and years and years and so get yourself a book and dig through your toys so that you can or go to the dollar tree the dollar store and find those little objects because it's a great way again to help children meet that uh receptive language and literacy milestone there all right now some kids at this point really do become developmentally ready and we start to hear some early word attempts because they're understanding more words now and their systems have matured enough so that now we're ready to look at expressive language But there's so many more things that we can do receptively, and that's why I went ahead and just divided this show so that next time we're going to talk about how to play with toys or some of those other tricks that we talked about for higher-level receptive language use. So don't think that this is all we can do with books with receptive language in this developmental period. What we're going to do now is just move on to the earliest skills and kind of mirror where we are uh, with expressive language. So let's look at our expressive language goals that we have um, Here in this developmental period now this first one is really really important because you may be thinking that we're going to go straight to Names familiar pictures or says the word But for so many of our little guys with language delays They need an in-between step and that's just simply too hard to move on to naming familiar pictures And how do we know it's too hard because if they could do it, they would do it. They would have already done it You wouldn't even really be Concerned about this at this point, they would be talking already. So, we know that for a lot of kids, they really have to learn that imitation piece from the ground up, they can't just start. Well, no kid starts there with imitating words. They really do learn this sequentially. And so we've already kind of walked through this. Back in show 415, we talked about imitating actions. And we've talked about how important that is that we have to learn how to imitate non-verbally before we're able to imitate verbally. And then we also have in hierarchy within that That just that non-verbal Uh, versus verbal realm within the verbal realm there we don't start with words we need to make it easier so we're going to start with play sounds or sound effect sounds and that's what we want children imitating first and again you might be thinking why is she saying imitating rather than say well the kid's not really going to say something spontaneously on his own until he's copied it or imitated it or repeated it that uh, from someone else and that's how we learn all language it's really an auditory system so we want to be sure that we are modeling something that a child can actually say and we, again we already said words are too hard because he would already be talking so we have to back this up and use play sounds and exclamatory words and again what are exclamatory words those are words that we exclaim so words like wow or whee or oh boy or oh no those kinds of emotionally laden words filled with affect meaning not just what we say but how we say it our tone of voice or our facial expressions, and so that's what we want to emphasize in this developmental period because this is where lots of new talkers can find success. And how do we know this? Too, because sometimes this is what we get when we first assess a child who's been referred to us for a language delay. We'll say to a parent, "How many words does the child know?" And she may say, "Well, he doesn't really know words, but do sounds count? He can he can bark like a dog. He can make a sound like a car. Sometimes he tries to." Uh, do like a hiccup sound as a joke. And so, see, you've you've heard something and you've learned something about that child. He can't do single words yet, but he can do easier, earlier vocalization. So we need to meet that kid where he is and start with those kinds of things. So that's what we do with the books. We're not going to even think about something like, you know, that SLP jargon that we might say. He's going to do syllables or sounds in isolation. We're not talking about that. We're really talking about words. Words that hold meaning so you might not think about the word the sound that a cow makes being a word and what you know what would that be that would be moo but I can spell moo m-o-o and because I can spell it that's word. that's a word and that certainly is meaningful for a lot of kids for a lot of new talkers their word for cow is moo and so this is where we want to meet them and get them going at this level that they can be successful and so how do we do that We model that for them. And so instead of getting them to try to say, you know, here's the cow, say cow, come on, you can say it, come on, cow, tell me cow. And, you know, you can feel your own blood pressure rising as you're trying to do that. Back off that a little bit and make it simpler. And so here, you know, you would be saying, and this is a Christmas book. I I don't know what happened to the little blue truck book that I used for last week's show, but. I have the Christmas version today, but this is where you're really just going to model. And so even you may be reading this, but certainly for a child who's struggling with language development, you might just come up with whatever you're going to have little blue trucks say throughout the whole book. And it might be beep, beep, or honk, honk, or whatever you want him to say. And so that's what you're going to emphasize. And uh, the sound. So for a bird, you might say, oh, there's the bird. What's the bird say? tweet 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 and again pairing a motor movement like the sign for bird or an action for the bird, you know, you may do something like flapping your wings. That really entices children to talk too, and to really try that as well. And even if they're not imitating the vocal or verbal part of that yet, a lot of times they're going to start to imitate the nonverbal part. And then you know, okay, they've got the imitation piece. They just really need the uh, vocalization or the verbalization piece as well. They've got to have the expressive piece. So that's certainly information that you want to gather as well. So use your play sounds and your exclamatory words and and let me talk about how to set this up now for lots of kids even like talkers after you get them in the habit of imitating and how and they understand to imitate they'll just naturally start to imitate as you you know read the book let's i don't know if i can do this one upside down but five green trees make one big load beep says blue let's hit the road all right so here you for beep and then you could say something like Oh, what did Little Blue Truck say? He said, beep, beep. But for some kids, you've really got to set it up where you are talking and reading to the point that they're going to try to fill in that blank. And that's called the close method. And we're going to talk about that a little more as we go in the next strategy. And I'll introduce it with a book that's a little bit better for that. But for now, know that you can set that up. So you might say something like, every time you read that on every page, little blue truck says, beep, beep. And then after you've said that on every page, oh, what does little blue truck say? Little blue truck says, And you're doing that expectant waiting where you are looking at them and you are using your anticipatory uh, body language and you are maybe opening your eyes wide, maybe even a little, you know, that audible gasp there. Anytime I've done that in a course uh, live with therapists and said, everybody, you know, let's do this. Everybody show me your tell me face or what you would say. You know, we all do about the same thing. And so parents don't naturally know how to do that or know that they should do that. So, and, and even sometimes by just you're showing them how to read a book, I mean, certainly, please don't stop modeling things. Even if you're working in a program that's just gone so overboard on uh, parent consultation to the point that you don't even feel like you can model something. Parents often don't understand how to use the strategy with a child until they've seen you do it. So even if you're doing teletherapy sessions right now as COVID may be making a comeback here, you want to model those strategies, and, and you want to be really so intentional and deliberate about it so that you're saying to a parent, now, you saw me read that book. Let's talk about some of the things that I did, or maybe even before you read the book or before you're using this with um, play sounds, you're saying, I want you to watch my facial expression. I want you to listen for how I use my voice and and the tone that I'm using. And you know, we have to make ourselves sound playful and excited because if we don't, he's gonna run away from us. And so you're explaining all of that and you're not just letting them sit and think, well, that's just her personality, that's just how she is. You've gotta really let them know that these are clinical strategies (laughs) that you are using and why that's important. And so think about that as you are teaching these earliest expressive language strategies. So let me show you another couple of books that I've used, and you can find your own, I'm sure, that have a lot of these play sounds and exclamatory words. This is a little book called Uh-Oh and Oh-No, and I love this book uh, for vowel sequencing for our little or vowel differentiation for our little guys with apraxia, and we're not going to talk a lot about that today, but it certainly has been uh, a really good book with good word choices for that so you know the the uh uh-oh or oh no and you may have a kid that just does one of these you may have a kid that can only say "Uh uh-oh or that's where he is right there and so that's what your target is the whole is the whole book and so you're going to read this and teach a parent you know to read it time for breakfast here's your milk says daddy oh look at baby what happened he dropped the milk what does he say Uh uh-oh, and then you set that up where you're reading and reading and reading, and and you do it over and over and over, and again, you're looking at the child, you're doing the expectant waiting so that his job there is to fill in that blank and do uh, uh uh-oh. Another wonderful book that's just designed for this strategy where a child is imitating play sounds and exclamatory words is a book called The Big Book of Exclamations. It's actually written Uh, did I say that right yeah exclamations it's actually written by a speech language pathologist I've got the link there in the post uh, for the books that I'm using to demo for this course and and she was on the podcast years ago when we didn't video the podcast when we just did it when it was just a a podcast without the video but Terry Kaminsky and this book is fantastic because it actually her name is Terry Kaminsky Peterson let me give her a correct last name it there's a script here with what uh, you can read and what parents can say now um, this book is paper pages and sometimes if you've heard me talk about books before I get a little crazy if a kid tears my paper pages so I would love it if this board we're in car- uh, this book were in cardboard and I think she had plans for that but I'm not sure where that is in that project but there are wonderful things that you can do like knocking on the door here and the little girl says what she says hi and what does the little boy say Hi, and so again, there's a little script here, and you can uh, give parents guidance with how to cue children for uh, play sounds and exclamatory words. And one thing that you really, again, we've already talked about it, but really talk about that expectant waiting and that pausing and that giving a child time to respond and uh, the just the repetition that it's going to take for a child to be able to begin to produce these kinds of things and imitate those kinds of utterances. All right, so let's move on to the book that I use a lot for verbal routines. And if you're an SLP, chances are you have this book in your library as well. But Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And I like this version so much because it's so heavy-duty cardboard. But it has this really cool sliding feature. And we talked about this in show 415, the first part of this series, how we're Kids who aren't really pointing, we teach them to do something else that heads them in that direction, and sliding is a prerequisite skill, and kids can, that's an in-between step for a lot of kids, and so I love this book because of that, but the verbal routine here, you know, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me and that's the that's the close method or the completion method where we pause and we wait for a child to fill in that last word. And so that's our goal here. We're going to have children uh, fill in words or say words during verbal routines. And so I love this book for this goal and you might could use you, you might use it for children who are still at the signing level so you teach me or they you know, children are able to imitate actions, but not yet able to imitate words. And so you'd make it a little easier where you are modeling, you know, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. And do a big model with that and have the child tap his own chest and you reach down and help his and take his little hand and help him uh pat his chest there as he's saying me so certainly a wonderful book for you to be able to introduce uh, some verbal routines and then also work on pointing like we talked about in that last developmental phase now i love the no david books for verbal routines too and i really like to work on having a child shake his finger so again even if he's not talking yet he's still imitating that gesture with you know no 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 or maybe shaking his head for no 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 and you just have him say no no on every page and most toddlers think that's funny and they think you know that's a power word and they've learned how to say it and so sometimes parents might get a little bit upset about you teaching the word no so emphatically Uh, But most parents don't because they want their child to learn how to talk. Now, the last kind of book that we use here with verbal routines is a way that you can use for any kind of book that's based on a song. Because songs really are our kind of ultimate verbal routine because we say the same words at the same time in the same way every single time that we sing the song. And so for kids who like music using a book based on a song is a really good idea and then you just pause uh, at the end of the line for the familiar word and so certainly a song you know five little monkeys jumping on the you know eventually we want a child to fill in bed one fell off and bumped his head mama called the doctor and the doctor said no more monkeys jumping on the bed and you're really modeling that and again you can get your head going or your bossy finger shaking going anything here for the child's going to fill that in going to complete that action or gesture and eventually that word with you and so these are really good Uh, books to use for that kind of strategy all right so let's move on then to our last couple of goals here in this developmental range and this is we're finally to the point that a kid will imitate familiar words uh, or name familiar pictures and so When it's hard for kids to name pictures when you've done the verbal routines, you've worked them up, you've done your place nouns and exclamatory words, and then you've worked them up to verbal routines, and you still have difficulty, then you know that you're going to have to modify what you're doing a little bit. And so you take your success that we've already learned in these last couple of strategies, and you move it on to using words. So here, if a child has loved verbal routines, when you've done your songs and you've done your other uh, books like that, you just start making everything a verbal routine, and so. The, I think about this as giving kids a running start or a head start or something to kind of get them going. And, you know, you might think about it as an SLP as using a carrier phrase, but you as the adult are using the phrase and the kid is just going to complete it. So again, it's kind of that hybrid with that uh, completion method. And so here you're just doing something like you're going to just start with ITSA and you're doing that pregnant pause there so this child fills in what the word is. So it would be ball it's uh we don't want to say umbrella that's too hard there's the apple here's the block and so again you give them that little lead in and that works really well with a lot of kids now the other thing that you can do here is really uh, do this with counting books and like we have here and just really set it up where you are are uh labeling and, and do your pointing so it's anticipatory, and again, you, you, you get kids worked up to this. So you're going to say, instead of counting one, two, three blocks, you're going to say block, block, block. And then the next time you read the book, you're going to say block, block, block. But then after a while, after you've done it a lot, you're going to pause. You're going to say block, block and wait for the kid to fill in block. And so you've made that a verbal routine, but what's he doing now? Now he's really naming familiar pictures. And so it's just a nice transition step. Um, I like that a lot, and I use it a lot. It certainly isn't something that we want to a kid to do forever. But it's a nice in-between step that gets kids headed in the right direction uh, for use naming pictures when that's been really, really hard for them. Another strategy here is just to use the same word for the whole book. And so this is a book that I've had for a long time. It's an Usborne publishing book. And so what we're doing here is we're finding the duck in every on every page and so and you can see how long I've owned this book. The pages were stuck together. We must have gotten bubbles on them the last time I played and the pictures are stuck. But you know you're gonna talk about here's the duck. Let's find the duck on every page. Will you help me? Here's the and again the child says duck. Find the duck and you're doing that. Or you're asking him, you know, find the duck and then you ask him what's that and his response should be duck, but again, you've made it simpler because you've had this same target on every page, and you can see how that's much, much easier than having 10 target words for a single book. So, for lots of our little guys, especially those with markers for apraxia, that's a really, really great uh, strategy to use there. All right, our last goal that we're going to talk about in this phase is imitating phrases during verbal routines. Now for some, well let's talk about with typical development. When do phrases come in? They usually come in at about 18 months, but the most important marker there is not when they come in, it's the child's vocabulary size so we know that children begin to combine words on their own without help from a speech therapist or a mom or dad (laughs) when their vocabulary reaches about that 50 word mark now some SLPs will say 35 words and I think okay that's for typically developing kids when they get about 35 words in their vocabulary and they're typically developing maybe they start to combine them but you know if you've worked for more than a couple of months (laughs) that kids who are language delayed actually have to have closer to that 50-word mark or more before they begin to spontaneously or on their own self-generate phrases. And so a nice in-between step when that's not not happening is to use holistic phrases. And that's where kids learn the phrases one entire word. Now, when this happens as an SLP, we have to be really careful not to give a child credit for using phrases. So if you have a kid that only says things like, I got it, I did it where'd it go what's that those kinds of things those aren't those are holistic phrases he he thinks that's one long word in his mind and so we have to separate that and differentiate that but we know that that strategy will probably help a kid get there because he's practicing the sequencing he's getting the ability to get the syllables to sound the same every time he says it and hopefully he's matching meaning so that he doesn't say i got it when he really means where'd it go or uh uh, what's that you know so that he matches the right holistic phrase to the right uh, context, but this is something that we have to work on with a lot of kids too, who just aren't getting there. They've got single words, the single words are coming in. We would never work on these holistic phrases until a child is establishing his single word vocabulary and that's moving on. but when kids need that in between uh, bump and I don't have perfect books to show you this today, but I do want to show you that you can kind of do this with any book that you're looking at and let's see a little flat book. A little flat book would be great with this because you've got uh, kind of a, a, a setup with, you're going to ask, you know, where are you or uh, where do you go? Or again, one of those little holistic phrases. And I'll try to write some of those there on or put it on the handout to make sure that you've got some examples. I, I don't think that's on there and I think this would be great for you. But anything here that you can model where you're saying, uh, you know, If you've looked at a page or, I don't know, you could even maybe do it with your hands, you know. Where's Sophie? Where's Sophie? Sophie, where are you? And just getting those little phrases. It might be that you go back with the strategies that we used in the last show where you were having a child... Uh, do something where they could imitate that action where you're going to say oh look at this little boy let's pat the boy and then you could do the I did it I did it or oh let's give this little girl a kiss and we kiss her and then I did it and so even though you're not really using a book with I did it as the tagline you've made that Modification so that you can use that strategy and adapt it with about any book. So that's that's one that I use a lot, where a kid has been really successful uh, doing those kinds of actions, and he likes that activity, so that's what, it's easy for him now. We've done it for so long, and he, again, it's something he's kind of into. That's how we can transition that after he started naming some words, but certainly something that we can go back and kind of pull that activity preference that he did a while ago, pull it back to work on uh, this, a new developmental skill. So imitating holistic phrases is a ton of fun. You can do it very well with toys, but we certainly can work that in for books, especially when a kid loves books. And we know that that's going to be a winner uh, for him. All right. So that's all for today. We've talked about how we can make books better for kids in at the beginning of that 18 to 36 month developmental range. I'd encourage you to go get the handout for this show. You can find it on YouTube here. If you watched uh, the video there, scroll down to the post below and it'll say, you know, link to uh, CE credit. And you'll also get a list of the books that I use for demo with those Amazon links. If you're interested in that, if you are listening to the show, uh, via your podcast app and you are a therapist and you need continuing education credits, do not let your credits go unused. You have already listened to the show so go to Teach Me To Talk, search show number 416 and you can get your one hour of CE credit for only $5. Alright, thanks so much for joining me for this part of the show. Next time we're going to have an even more fun idea with how we can use books and incorporate toys and we can do it two ways for kids who like books and for kids who don't like books and especially for our little friends who are on the autism spectrum so I hope you'll join me for that show as well all right that's really it I'm Laura Mize speech language pathologist and thank you so much for joining me for teach me to talk's podcast